back on The Week That Was with a razor wit, irreverent humour and profound political and cultural insights, this is The James McPherson Show. Welcome to The James McPherson Show. Great to have your company for this, I think, episode 19. So wherever you are listening to this podcast, I trust that you enjoy it. You know, when a black man hits a black woman, it's a white man's fault, according to Diversity Council Australia. The council, quoting Indigenous activist Kelly Trelaw, last week tweeted that a high rate of domestic violence in Aboriginal communities was the result of colonisation. Well, of course, and high rates of alcoholism in those same communities is the result of Advance Australia Fair. Not really, but you wouldn't put such a suggestion beyond Diversity Council Australia after last week's effort. The council tweeted, and I'll quote it for you, statistics show that First Nations women experience higher rates of family violence than other women. But this is a complex issue, stemmed from issues of colonisation, trauma from displacement, and legacy of intergenerational trauma, end quote. Now, the first part of the tweet is indisputable. Statistics show that Indigenous women do experience extraordinarily high rates of domestic violence. Sadly, tragically, the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare reports that Indigenous women are 32 times more likely to be hospitalised as a result of family violence than are non-Indigenous women. But statistics also show that critical race theory and social justice scholarship will do less than nothing to fix the problem. Now, the second part of the tweet, the bit where it says the causes of domestic violence are complex and then immediately blames Arthur Phillip, is disgraceful. It's the racism of low expectations that suggests certain people have no autonomy and that their actions have been predetermined by historical events because, you know, black. Personally, I'd love to blame my own failures on the intergenerational trauma of convict transportation, but I'm white. So unlike my Indigenous brothers, I'm considered able to take responsibility for my actions. It's just this kind of rubbish that permits suffering to continue unabated, suffering that is essential for groups like Diversity Council Australia to exist. Blaming domestic violence in Indigenous communities on colonisation ensures that domestic violence in Indigenous communities can never be stopped. It's a classic case of ensuring that you never fix the patient, so you always have a patient to fix. The council may as well have tweeted, statistics show that First Nations women experience higher rates of family violence than other women, but we don't care unless it fits our divisive identity politics. A boat arrived at Sydney Cove 222 years ago is no excuse for beating a woman. And if it wasn't for January 26, this would never have happened to you is no consolation to a battered woman. Domestic violence in Indigenous communities always was, always will be, the responsibility of Indigenous communities to own and to fix. But as long as activists suggest that Indigenous men in 2020 are victims of white men from 1788, Indigenous women, whose deaths by family violence far outnumber the Indigenous men who've died in custody and yet they receive none of the attention, will continue to suffer. Diversity Council Australia imagines that Indigenous people had never known violence until whites showed up in boats. This, of course, is nonsense, and everyone knows it. 
bone fracture pattern analysis of pre-settlement Indigenous women, as well as testimony from the first settlers, has shown that brutal levels of violence existed in Indigenous communities long before 1770. Diversity Council Australia, though, to their credit, do ensure a diversity of views. There's the truth, based on facts, and there's the politically correct self-surfing fiction that the council talks. Former Race Discrimination Commissioner Tim Suit Pomasan last week slammed the ABC for using too many white-skinned leftists to present its news and current affairs programs. Above a photo of white ABC personalities, he tweeted, and I quote, a very long way to go before we see our diversity on screens. Let's remember the ABC has in its charter that it should reflect the cultural diversity of the Australian community. So where is it? End quote. The anti-racism campaigner is right to be outraged. There'll be no diversity at the ABC until journalists of every shade are presenting news from a far left-leaning perspective. How can the taxpayer-funded ABC represent the broader community while every leftist host has a pale face? And it's difficult to defend the ABC against charges of political bias when everyone pushing the collectivist point of view is fair-skinned. If the ABC is to provide balanced reporting as its charter demands, then everyone promoting the same socialist agenda cannot be of white European descent. Where are the brown-skinned Marxists? And why isn't the ABC showing exotic-looking, really dark-skinned progressives? It's not enough for ABC chair Ita Buttrose to talk about diversity. We need to see it. Mr. Suit Pomarsen is absolutely right to insist that the ABC provide the public with a wide variety of views. People need to be able to view Asians and view Islanders and view Africans, all saying the same woke things. Flagship programs like Q&A and The Drum should have panellists who are diverse, like a packet of M&Ms, lots of different colours and all with the same flavour. Uh, Mr. Sut Pomasan should be applauded for pointing out the need for the ABC to represent Australia's pluralistic society with a plurality of faces. There's a real danger that when everyone at the ABC newsroom is white, reporters will start to suffer from group face. And when everyone's looking the same, well, no one's looking different. Mr. Sut Pomasan is bravely ensuring the national broadcaster doesn't get away with it. But Mr. Sukpomasan's skin-deep critique of the ABC doesn't go far enough. Someone with a real talent for reducing everything to race would have noted the ABC's diversity program is not confined to its flagship television programs. It's to our national shame that ABC radio presenters use the same broad Australian accent to push progressive ideas. Every ABC personality sounds exactly the same on air, and, and that's not good for democracy. We need to hear lots of different voices. So why aren't we hearing about the climate emergency from someone with an Asian accent or that Trump is Hitler from someone who sounds Mexican or that Christians are a bunch of homophobes from someone with a South American twang? That foreign accents might make it difficult for listeners to understand ABC news and political commentary wouldn't matter since everyone knows in advance exactly what they're all going to say. In Victoria, Daniel Andrews has celebrated zero cases of coronavirus and a month of no community transmissions by mask-shaming long-suffering Victorians. Good morning to everyone, except those wearing their mask under their nose at the supermarket, he tweeted last week. It was a message befitting a bitchy schoolgirl, but unbecoming of a state premier, especially a premier whose own government's ineptitude 
largely contributed to the state's health crisis. Victorians might well reply, good morning to everyone except those who can't recall and can't remember. After bungling hotel quarantine and then claiming to have amnesia about how it happened, it's not unreasonable to expect that Andrews should now lead with humility and a degree of circumspection. Something about masked people in glass houses? But when not even the deaths of more than 800 Victorians have managed to put a dint in your approval ratings, well, humility is for losers. So it was good morning to everyone except those stupid fools who don't do exactly as I, your supreme overlord, dictate. Victoria's Twitter-in-chief managed to channel all of Trump's divisiveness and none of Trump's wit. Good morning, future Prime Minister of Australia, replied one of Dictator Dan's disciples on Twitter. Another replied with total sincerity, and I promise you I'm not making this up, Daddy Dan, (laughs) I can't believe, Daddy Dan, you make my day so much better. Others complimented Daddy Dan on being badass. They posted photos of fellow citizens, the kind of citizens Daniel Andrews would choose not to greet in the mornings, who'd failed to cover their nostrils as mandated. They might have asked their masked hero how it was that he could take credit for having eliminated the virus while at the same time making people wear masks so as not to contract it. They might also have asked Daddy Dan why it was that Victorians, with no COVID cases for a month, were still being subjected to harsh rules like the compulsory wearing of face nappies uh, indoors or in close proximity to others when people in other states were not. Dictator Dan was too busy tweeting contempt for his constituents to think about such things. So shut up and pull your mask over your nose, Victorians, or don't expect any top of the morning to you from the Premier. Well, if the cocky Premier is going to use the novel coronavirus to suggest novel ways in which to greet or not greet Victorians, I've got some greetings that Victorians not suffering from Helsinki syndrome might like to use in response. Good morning to everyone except premiers with dictatorial tendencies and a penchant for cringeworthy tweets is a succinct reply. Or what about this? Good morning to everyone except socialist dictators. Now, that would work well, although the greeting may cause confusion as to whether one is snubbing Daniel Andrews or his closed border-loving colleague, Anastasia Palaget. How about this one? Good morning to everyone except those who caused the death of more than 800 Victorians. That would leave no doubt about whose hand you are not shaking this morning. Other cheery greetings to begin the day on the right note could include good morning to everyone except those responsible for one of the longest lockdowns in the world, Good morning to everyone except the genius responsible for plunging Victoria into $155 billion worth of debt. What about this? Good morning to everyone except those who insist we're all in this together before creating division in the community by tweeting petty insults. You could try. Good morning to everyone except those who stupidly hired security guards in order to feather the nest of their union mates. Or, of course, you could settle for this one. Good morning to everyone except premiers too proud to cooperate with the federal government and too quick to bend over for the Chinese Communist Party. Perhaps it's the fear of such retorts that makes Dictator Dan so keen to muzzle citizens with masks that will make it difficult for their complaints to be heard. Not that he's listening. The Greens are blaming their political opponents for summer. Of course, summer happens around this time in Australia every year, but Green Senator Maureen Faruqi says that summer shouldn't be occurring and that the Liberals need to make it stop. Noting that the half city was hot 
over the weekend, Senator Faruqi tweeted, and I quote, 36 degrees today, 39 degrees tomorrow. Stay hydrated, Sydney. And don't forget to remind your local Liberal MP that this shouldn't be happening in November. Hashtag climate crisis, end quote. The senator, who seems to have had a bit too much sun, did not say when she believes that summer should be happening. It officially started on Monday. Nor did she say what she believes local MPs could do about summer. Presumably, Senator Faruqi thinks MPs should take more of people's money while promising to change the weather by flying to conferences in Europe where they'll agree to take even more of people's money while continuing to promise better weather for everyone. This junket can be repeated ad nauseum by simply yelling climate crisis on hot days. It's the best Marxist plan yet devised to accumulate money and power. But a couple of hot days at the end of an Australian spring does not constitute a climate crisis. Discrete weather events are not indicative of broader climate patterns, as we're reminded by the Greens whenever there are below average temperatures. But politics, right? So Senator Faruqi, who seems genuinely surprised to be living in Australia, jumps like a cat on a hot tin roof, demanding the Liberals turn down the sun because, well, hot. That Sydney temperatures at this same time of year were 39 degrees in 1878 and 1941, 40 degrees in 1946, 41 degrees in 1982, and 39 degrees in 1988 was of no relevance. And don't worry that Dorothy McKellar wrote about a sunburnt country in 1908, long before the senator or any other chicken little ever thought to run around screeching climate crisis. According to the Greens, the seasons are now autumn, winter, spring and climate change. Senator Faruqi aims to channel Sydney Sider's momentary discomfort because of the heat into a permanent anger at her political opponents because we're supposed to believe they could stop summer if they really wanted to, or at least move it to a better spot in the calendar. But after a hot weekend, the Sydney temperature today is slightly lower than average, and the overcast skies have ruined my planned beach day. So who do I call to complain? Well, that's all we've got time for for this edition of the James McPherson Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And listen, don't forget to go to Good Source. Dot news, good source, sources spelt S A U C E, goodsource.news, where you'll find lots of great content from conservative writers and thinkers, as well as great shows like this one. I look forward to your company next week. The James McPherson Show is a production of The Good Source, written and presented by James McPherson. To watch, listen to, or read more media without the SJW narratives or PC fact filter, visit goodsource.news. That's good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.